Okay, I'm, I'm in danger of being overwhelmed this morning before I even start because there are a bunch of different things have kind of collided. Some great friends from the past showed up this weekend. Um, some things happened even this morning when we were rehearsing for first service that really intersected with what I wanted to talk about today. So bear with me. I'm going to try to hold it together. But before we get to that, uh, an announcement. A couple things. One, if you're visiting with us today... We are very, very glad you're here uh, and would love to get to know you. And the very best way to do that is just to stick around for a minute in the foyer and someone will catch you and introduce themselves to you. And that's the best way to get to know each other. The second best way, and please do this as well, in the seat backs in front of you, there are some cards. There's a welcome card. You can leave us whatever information you'd like, just your name or an, or an email address or all your information you want to share, whatever. Uh, there's some next step cards. If you are interested in moving forward in your faith or with a fellowship like this, uh, we would love to have you as part of our family. Uh, there's a prayer request card, and there's an option on that to share your request with the whole congregation or just privately with the eldership and the staff, and we will pray with you and for you. And finally, there's some, there's some note cards. That's uh, for taking notes on. Secondly, VBS is next week. Are you ready? I have uh, this announcement. I'm just going to read this to you. That means that next Sunday, after service, we will begin to dismantle this auditorium and rearrange the building to accommodate nearly 120 kids and volunteers. And I would say it's going to be easier this time than when we had to take apart the pews. This time we just have to move the chairs, so no screwdrivers involved. Please feel free to stay and help, if you, and if you stay long enough, you'll get pizza. So it's a good deal. In advance of Sunday's big decorating spree, we will be building some props, like a shipwreck boat. Most people build a boat and then it shipwrecks. We're going to start with the shipwreck. Jungle, wa- jungle waterfall and island palm trees. This party takes place this Thursday from 1 to 4. So if you can come and help, please do. We'd love that. Kids are welcome. Just talk to Hope. Hope, where are you? Hope, raise, yeah. Just talk to Hope if you can be there uh, so we have kind of a count for how many people can help. And if we're short, then we know how many more people we need to kind of twist arms to get. Um, enough for everyone to do. We have almost 10 people coming already and can use more. We also have some more cutting to do, and you can pick that up from either Hope or Rochelle at the Welcome Center. And then this next part. Our numbers are a little bit down this year, but just ever so slightly. And we believe that this is one thing that Jesus is doing to help us as we have our youngest volunteer base in recent years. The majority of our volunteers in key roles this year are 15 to 18 years old. So please pray for our young people as they serve God in our community. Um, If you haven't seen what happens at VBS, it's pretty awesome. You have all these relationships uh, across all of these different age groups being um, built. You have people celebrating faith. You have people from the community maybe hearing the the story of Jesus for the very first time. And this year the theme is shipwrecked. Jesus saves. So uh, please help if you can with VBS. Will you pray with me? God, we come this morning to a text in which you show your heart. 
And whenever we do that, I feel like we should take our shoes off because we're on holy ground. Uh, Be with me, God, as I um, bring forth the words that you give. Um, Be with all of us together as a congregation. As John has reminded us, um, all of us fall short, but we don't want to. Uh, We want to minister as you do, to minister in your way. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. If you would open in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, it's on page 747 in the seat Bibles, seat back Bibles. And I leave that as a reference for you so that you can read along in Mark's account. I'm not going to read it this morning. I'm going to tell the story a couple different ways. This is the story of the woman who uh, is suffering from a chronic disease. She has a constant flow of blood coming to Jesus through the crowd, and he heals her. Uh, And what I want to do is start with maybe where she was in life. We don't know much about her. We don't even know her name. We don't know how old she was, but presumably my guess would be this either happened as she came of age as a woman. So she might be, say, in her early 20s now after 12 years of suffering Uh, Or it may be um, kind of a second stage in life. It's interesting to me that the Bible is comfortable talking about things that we're not comfortable talking about publicly. But Scripture is, right? So it's okay for us to, to talk about this. It was the point of the healing that Jesus addressed this woman. Because of her condition and the Levitical law, she was unclean all the time. Ceremonially unclean. Probably could not have got married. If she was married, I'm assuming it would have fallen apart. If she had never married, or if her condition had uh, begun before she had children, she would not have had children. So in some ways, she's in a worse position than a widow in her society. There is no one to provide for a woman like this in that society. The widows and the orphans are specifically uh, commanded to be protected, but this woman wouldn't have fallen in either of those categories. She would have been utterly vulnerable. On top of that, she'd spent everything she had, so now she's destitute, she's got no money, and she's frustrated. And everybody that she touches and every place that she goes or sits becomes ceremonially unclean. So she leaves awake of ritual filth behind her. She's in a desperate way. So lock her situation in your mind and see if there's something or somebody that you know that may sympathize with some of those pieces. She's not at the center of society. She's got no power. She's got no money now. She's not touchable. She's got no family, presumably, Or if she does, probably no husband now and no children, I would assume. She is in need of something, of a kind of salvation that we don't think about necessarily when we talk about salvation in the church. Now, I want to turn to the disciples' experience of this moment, and I'm going to read something to you. So, At the end of the story, um, Jesus 
takes only Peter and James and John with him to go to the to finish the story. It starts on this journey to Jairus' house. Do you remember Jairus was the leader of the synagogue, right? This is the mission that we're, they're on, and at the end of the story, it's just Peter, James, and John. So I'm assuming maybe Peter or James or John who saw the whole thing, uh, this is kind of their recollection. By the way, the book of Mark is very likely uh, compiled from the sermon notes that Mark took of Peter's sermons. So you kind of got firsthand experience of Peter seeing all of this unfold, uh, and then he, he preaches about it, Mark writes it down and, and compiles it in the gospel. So I'm going to pretend, take some liberty here, and view this from, let's say, Peter's perspective. Finally, a breakthrough. Someone important in the community came to Jesus for help. This is our chance. Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, needs Jesus' help. And we're on our way. We're headed to Jairus' house. And then there was us, the disciples, Jairus' servants, and a massive crowd pressing in from behind. So just imagine, here's Jesus out in front of us. Then there's a handful of us. And then there's this crowd just pressing. They want to see what Jesus is up to. They want to see this man that they've heard about. And now he's got this leader of the synagogue with him. Things are looking good for us. Then this woman comes out of nowhere pushing her way through the crowd, everyone and everything she touches now unclean, wrecked. She's an unclean woman. And she has the audacity to touch Jesus, a man, and a holy man at that. But maybe it's okay because no one noticed except Jesus. He stops and calls out, who touched me? I laughed out loud at first. What do you mean, who touched me, Jesus? We can't even take one step without someone's sweaty, stinky body pressing up against us in this heat. But Jesus stopped and asked again, who touched me? I felt power move through me, he said. And silence and stillness spread out through the crowd like a wave, just like when he stilled the storm. And in the midst of the absolute stillness, there was this woman By then she was heading away from us, escaping. And I think she was the last person to notice the change in the crowd. Everything just stopped and she couldn't get through. Then she stopped and looked back at us. In that instant, her face turned from amazement and joy to utter fear. She convulsed in a sob, stumbled forward and fell at Jesus' feet. She just wept. And her confession poured out in a torrent. She told Jesus everything about her illness, the doctors, the money problems, rejection, anger at God and the law, about hearing about him pushing through the crowd, creating a trail of filth in her wake, of the power that poured from him and the relief, oh, the relief finally from her disease. I looked at Jairus. His face was a mixture of amazement and anxiety. Time was running out for his little girl. Did the woman's touch desecrate Jesus? Did it make him unable to heal his daughter? Jesus was kneeling now too, holding her hands, her face, wiping away her tears, crying, and then laughing with her as she talked. Then he drew her face up 
And the first word to this rule-breaking, rejected, desecrated, unclean woman was daughter. My child. He said, my daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace now and be healed of your disease. While the word daughter was still ringing in the stillness, one of Jairus' people stepped forward. Sir, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher any longer. Jairus slumped and let out a sigh of despair, and then he began to flush with rage. But Jesus heard them, and a flash of something crossed his face too. Anger, maybe? He squared himself to Jairus, and he said, Do not fear. Just believe. We finished the journey to his house in silence, and when we arrived, Jesus told the mourners that the girl was only sleeping, but they laughed at him. Then he knelt and took this little girl's hands in his. Her hand was cold and pale and so small in his hands. His hands were warm and sunburnt and calloused. He leaned in close and whispered, Little girl, get up. And then it was Jairus who was laughing and weeping. And at that point, the rest of my notes are kind of useless because I had this great sermon written and then it got derailed on Friday. And I'll tell you why. So when you hear this story, what stands out to you as the most powerful moment? Is it Jesus taking this rejected woman and saying, my daughter? Or is it Jesus having mercy on this man and say, don't fear, just believe? And then to his daughter, little girl, get up. To me, it's when Jesus says, my, my daughter, to the woman. And that's the mercy that I want to receive, okay? Uh, but then God takes you and shakes you on your head sometimes. So I was at the, the stampede on Friday night, um, and we have two friends here who are from the church that I used to preach in, in Abilene, Texas. And they are real cowboys through and through. So they came up all the way from Abilene, Texas to see the stampede. And I don't know if you remember Friday night. It, like Friday afternoon was 31 degrees. It was sweltering hot. And then the sky just kind of turned sideways. And it was just this incredible wind. Um, and in the midst of the wind, I got a text from my friends here saying, we're here. They, they, they ha- weren't able to get tickets for the grandstand show at first, and then they got tickets for the grandstand show. So they called me, said, we're here. I, had, I was in the very, very, very top row on the 700 level. So my back was against the wall. So I had my binoculars, and I spotted them, and I went down in the, in the middle of this incredible wind to see them. If you know anything, a day at the stampede isn't cheap. There's not a way you can get through that without dropping some money. Um, for me, literally, I had taken some cash out of the cash machine because I needed to get some, a Coke for my dad and myself, which two Cokes ran me 10 bucks or more. It was crazy. So I took a 60 bucks out. I, I spent some on the Cokes. I put $25 in my shirt pocket and, uh, uh, some change and then the rest of the money in my wallet. Went down, said hello to my friends and the wind was just blasting us. And they both looked down at the same time at my shirt pocket and said, there's something, oh, your money. And it just went, and it was gone. Like I chased it 
for 30 feet or so, and then it blew into uh, the chuck wagon races. So I wasn't going to get it. A few people saw it. They tried to stomp on it, and it was gone. Uh, so, of course, I was mad because I thinking this was already expensive. I didn't need to lose 25 bucks on top of that just to the wind. Um, so I went to the car to get some jackets because it was cold. On the way back to the car, no word of a lie, a $50 bill blew under my foot and stuck. <laughs> so, yeah... <laughs> You know, they had the 50-50 lotto going on. I should have bought something that day, but I didn't. So I pick up the $50 and stick it in my pocket, and I'm walking back, and this sermon comes to my head, and here's what I realized. In almost every sense of the word, I am gyrus in this story. Things have come easy for me in life. I'm at the center of the community I work in church work. I'm affirmed in most of what I do. And beyond the shadow of a doubt, my worst fear is losing my kids. And all of a sudden, I found myself on the side of the story that I didn't want to be on. I want to identify with the woman receiving Jesus' mercy. Instead, I found out exactly what Mark paired these stories up for I found myself standing shoulder to shoulder with Jairus. So when you take Jairus and this woman, you have the epitome of the privileged man on this side and the epitome of the disadvantaged person on the other side. And the question that comes to me then is, what do I do as a Jairus Christian in a bleeding world? We have, again, the Bible's comfortable talking about stuff that we're not comfortable talking about. But we have sitting in this congregation people on both sides of that divide. People for whom life has come relatively easy. Doesn't mean we didn't work hard. We've all worked hard, I think. And then life for whom every step of the journey is an uphill battle. Um... Jason, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Um, a, a, new, a new friend came in this morning while we were rehearsing and said, God led me here. I would need a new start to my life. And the burden on that Mark puts on us by pairing Jairus' story with this woman's story is to figure out how we do that together. Because maybe the most powerful thing in the story is something I didn't mention. Both Jairus and this woman fall down at Jesus' feet. They came to him looking for healing. What they crashed headlong into was holiness and sovereignty of a powerful king. But what they found was a friend who didn't care which side of the fence they were on, He loved them, and he showed them what the kingdom looked like in that moment. And the burden on us now is not to hide over on the Jairus side or 
on the woman's side, but to find the path of Jesus that reaches out to everyone with love. Uh, Hope and Kelly and I, and Dustin too, worked on this poster a few weeks ago. Hope did a great job, but I think if you'd ask her, it wasn't terribly difficult to make the poster. It's a lot harder to live what it's asking. Uh, Michael and I were talking about this text, and he challenged me to give some practical suggestions for how we can work together across a divide of privilege and disadvantage regardless of where you are in that spectrum. Um, I could try to disavow all my privilege, but it doesn't do anybody much good if I do that. That's one option. I could just run away from whatever God has granted me. Another option is that I could just hide and keep to my own people and keep to myself and keep to where it's comfortable uh, another, a third option would be for me to, even as I try to help, to act like a parent and be the one who's constantly calling the shots. Also not a great option. The fourth, and I think the best option, is for us to become friends and to listen well to each other, even when it's messy and it takes time and you're in danger of becoming unclean by someone who you think is tainted because that's what our Lord did. He didn't, he didn't lord over them with his holiness and majesty, although he could have. He became their friend. And when the man who had some importance was beckoning him, Jesus took time out of that to minister to the woman who had no power. And I think that's the lesson for you and me. Um, A practical place to start is to learn somebody's name who you don't know yet. And just say, hey, my name's Jonathan. I haven't met you yet. Tell me your name. Shake hands, give a hug. And if you have time, say, would you join me for lunch today or dinner this week? Or could I come visit you sometime? Or tell me your story. Those are the ways I think that we can manifest the kingdom first in this room and then beyond those walls and minister in the way of Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for... um, It's trite even to say this, Lord, to you, but thank you for coming and showing us your heart in ways that are convicting and are easy for us to see and feel and touch, uh, that you, you left this message for us 2,000 years ago and it's traveled down through the generations and reached our ears as well, that you are no respecter of persons. That whether we are at the center of society or we're at the very edge, whether we have lots of power or none at all, we fall at your feet, you gather us up into your arms and call us friend, And you show us what your kingdom will look like. God, as your people, as the body of your son in the world today, give us eyes and ears and hearts for the ways that we can embrace that mission now. Uh, And where where I have prejudice in my own heart, 
Please heal me of that. Give me the courage to see past it, to be humble. And give us wisdom to walk through what is sometimes a complicated situation where it's not as easy as just feeling guilty or giving away my power or saying I'm sorry, but it takes a lifetime of holding hands and working together. We do pray that your will be done and that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, we pray all this in your name. Amen.